pray that you know that no matter what kind of sins you have in your past, the Lord can cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's a long way, amen? I've enjoyed uh, preaching through February about marriage, uh, one of my most favorite topics, I suppose. And today, we're going to continue looking at God's plan for marriage, uh, the divine design, as I've called it. And we're going to look today at some biblical instructions. We're going to look at the biblical model for marriage. And we'll also gain, I pray, a biblical understanding of marriage. But you know, we also need to know some real practical things too. And that is, how can we succeed in our marriages? How can we be the husbands and the wives that God wants us to be both right now if you're married or sometime in the future if you're still single? Now, there are countless illustrations on marriage, but I wanted to share with you a few of my favorites. Uh, the first of which comes from a philosopher named Anonymous. Y'all know him? Uh, anyway, Anonymous said, Many girls marry men just like their fathers, which explains why many mothers cry at weddings. <laughs> Amen? Uh, there's another one uh, that comes from Valerie Runyon, and she tells the story. She said, One day my husband was resting on the couch, his head was on my lap, and I carefully removed his glasses, and I told him so sweetly, Honey, without your glasses, you look like that handsome man I married. And he sheepishly grinned and said, you know, honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good too. <laughs> and then there's Ogden Nash, who wrote this little poem that advises men. And it says this, uh, to keep your marriage brimming with love in loving cup. Men, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Men, whenever you're right, shut up. Amen. Yeah, who said that? <laughs> Amen. And then uh, lastly, and I'll get moving, um, a mountain named Herb Forst uh, gives men suggestions on what not to buy their wives in the form of a gift. The first thing that men, husbands should not buy for their wives is any clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you're going to get that size right which means you're going to offend her the other 6,999 times, amen? That's number one. Number two thing to avoid buying your wife is anything that's useful. Anything that's useful. That new silver polish that's advertised to save hundreds of hours of house cleaning will not get you any brownie points. Number three, don't buy jewelry. Don't buy jewelry. The jewelry that your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can't afford, your wife don't want. Amen? Number five. Number four. Don't buy her any frilly underwear. Your idea of what your wife should wear and what she actually wears are light years apart. Number five. Don't spend too much. You know she's going to ask, how in the world are we going to afford that? But don't spend too little because you know what she'll say. Is that all I'm worth to you? What not to buy for your wives. Boy, marriage. Such a wonderful thing, isn't it? The sanctity of marriage. But before we look at the divine design for marriage today, I'd like to help you to understand two truths. Two truths about marriage, and the first of which is that marriage is a journey. 
It's not a destination. It is a journey. And last week we found that God saw Adam's aloneness and he saw that it was not good. That's right. Aloneness was not good. And no suitable helper could be found in all of God's creation. So God made Adam a helper. And that helper was just right for him. And boy, she was... Say it loud. Say it loud. Boy, she was hot. That's right. And God commanded Adam to be joined to her as his wife. Eve was to help Adam through this journey of life. And also Adam was to help Eve. Now, that's what you need to know is that marriage is never an end unto itself. It is an ongoing journey, a journey that grows and flourishes, and it requires help. It's hard to do on our own, and this idea of marriage was God's idea. So marriage is a journey, but also you need to know that marriage is indeed a partnership. Before we look at our verses today in Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to notice that this whole section that we're going to be looking at today, this whole section of Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, is prefaced by verse 21. And verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's how the whole section is, is begun. Husbands and wives are to mutually submit to one another in the fear of God. Now that does not mean that husbands are not to take the leading role to lead their wives and their families spiritually. But it does mean this, that both husbands and wives should be so busy looking out for the needs of the other that neither one's needs go unmet. Mutual submission is what verse 21 is talking about. Submitting to one another. In the fear of God. So let's continue to read now about the divine design for marriage, God's plan for marriage, in chapter 5 and 22. The word says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. Who loves his, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Father, it is our desire to have our eyes, hearts, spirits, and souls illuminated to the divine design, to your design, your plan 
for marriage. Help us to always remember how you intended marriage to be and to allow our marriages, whether we're married now or maybe will be in the future, help our marriages, Lord, to follow your design. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Marriage is a journey. Marriage is also a partnership. But this biblical model that I just shared with you, uh, I believe that there are three distinct, very clear concepts that you can find in that passage. The first of which is I believe that that passage shows us God's purpose for marriage. God's purpose for marriage. I believe that there's really probably two that we can find in that passage. Two primary purposes for God's design for marriage. The purpose number one is growth. God desires that we grow in our marriages. Look there at Ephesians 5 and verse 31. This is actually scripture coming from Genesis in chapter 1 that we or chapter 2 that we talked about last week. But in Ephesians 5:31, it begins by saying, "For this reason, for this cause, for this purpose, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined or cleave to his wife." Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child. I used to think as a child. I used to reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Quite simply this. If you're not ready to end your dependence on your parents, then you're not ready to be married. Did you hear that? Because that word said, you are to, For that reason, man shall leave his father and mother. You're not ready to cleave to a wife if you're not ready to leave mom and dad, okay? So, it's important that we know that that first purpose is for our growth. I read an illustration about Larry Cunningham who got a phone call from his newly married daughter. And she said that her and her husband were having the most awful first argument. And after about an hour on the phone and all these tears that were shed, that daughter said, Daddy, that's it. I'm ready to come home. To which the dad said, darling, I'm sorry, you are home. You are home. You see, marriage is God's purpose. It's his plan to begin a new family. It's his purpose to uh, require a new focus and to send people in a new direction in their lives. It involves accepting new responsibilities. It requires new risks and opening up new chapters of our lives. It requires also that we look upon our spouses in a different way, in a, in a new relationship, a new perspective, and learn how to appreciate our spouse for who they are. So I believe that that first purpose in God's design for marriage is indeed that we will mature and that we will grow. But there's a second purpose. The second purpose in God's grand design, the divine design for marriage, is intimacy. Back to 531, look there again. In the second part of Ephesians 531, uh, man shall cleave or man shall be joined to his wife. Being joined is a beautiful picture of intimacy. It is openly admitting that you need somebody else. It's openly admitting that you're committed to someone else, to one another. Being joined means you want to stay that way. Forever, You want to stay together. You want to be a partner with that person for all their life, no matter what might occur, as long as you both shall live. Ever heard that before? As long as you both shall live. So as I see it, 
God's primary purposes for marriage appear to be growth and intimacy. Growth and intimacy. But then uh, that, this uh, passage gives us a beautiful picture. It gives us God's picture of marriage. Look at the very end, the third part of Ephesians 5.31, for where the Bible says, and the two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. Friends, this is not only a reference to the sexual union between a husband and a wife. It also means that there is one singular focus in the marriage. It also means that there are, there are dreams that are together. It also means that there are plans put together for the future together. There is also celebrating the joys of life together. Say together. Together. And it also means enduring the struggles of life together. Say together. Together. It's a singular focus. I want to clarify a few things this morning. That marriage is not two agendas. The ideal is one shared agenda. That marriage is not two dreams. The ideal is one shared dream. See, marriage involves shared priorities. Marriage involves common goals. Marriage involves a desire to see that each partner becomes the very best person they can possibly be. Looking out for the other more so than oneself. Marriage is not two approaches to raising kids. Rather, the ideal is one united, agreed-upon, shared plan for raising your children. Marriage is not two budgets. It's one integrated budget for the good of both. And I'll just get on a soapbox here and share something with you. And, and if you don't agree with me, you, you can tell me later. But something that fires me up is when I hear about husbands and wives who have separate checking accounts. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that somebody don't trust the other. Amen? One integrated budget. I don't understand that. If, if I'm married to the person I'm going to live the rest of my life with, she's going to have everything. And if she wants to run off with it, so be it. But I pray that you remember that it's not two, but it's one. Marriage is not uh, two separate future plans. It's one shared plan for the future. And friends, when the victories occur, and they always do, victories always occur, both the husbands and the wives will share the blessings of those victories. So I believe that's God's picture for marriage, that the two shall become one flesh. And that's not Brother Bill's plan. That's not Brother Bill's ideal. That's God's ideal. So, there's God's purpose for marriage, which is growth and intimacy. There's God's picture for marriage, which is two people becoming one flesh. But then there's God's plan for marriage, truly the, the divine design. And last week, we, we looked at Genesis 1.27, where the Bible says, And God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And I read where John Graham says it well. He said, even though marriages are made in heaven. Did you hear that? Marriages are made in heaven. Even though marriages are made in heaven, man has the responsibility for its maintenance. 
Men and women have responsibility to maintain the marriage. God gives us the ability. God gives us the responsibility. God gives us the free will to choose success, to choose success in our marriages. So, so important that both the husband and the wife choose success and use their own responsibility and own free will to make it work. Now, I don't have to tell you that men and women are just different from one another. Can I get an amen? God created us that way, okay? He created us differently from one another. He created us differently by his choice. By his choice. And we got to learn to understand that. But you know what? We should also appreciate it. That he made us differently. We also ought to uh, work at it when he brings us together as husband and wife. Again, Mr. Anonymous wrote this. He said, marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too hot. And beside you is one who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. Amen? Uh-huh. You see, we're not just different physically. No, we're not just different physically. And I'm glad that we're different physically. Amen? Guys, can I get an amen? All right. I'm glad that we're not just different physically. We're different in our interests. We're different in, in the way we express our emotions. We're different in our thinking process. We're different even in how we eat. We're different. And that's good. But what scares me is that even though people recognize all these differences, they still refuse to practice relating to one another. They can recognize that their spouse is different, but they're not going to budge. They're not going to try to understand or relate to their spouse, and that kind of flies all over me. I want you to know this morning that God wants you to be the very best spouse that you can possibly be. Whether you are now or will be in the future, God wants you to be the very best that you can be. Now, he never said that it would be easy, did he? No, he didn't say that it would be easy, but you know what? Something that I've always leaned on is the knowledge that anything of value always comes with great effort. It comes with hard work. So I pray that you will be the very best spouse that God can make you to be. Because marriage is no different. Marriage is no different. Make no mistake about it. Making a marriage work is tough. There are a lot of issues that come into it. There are all manner of financial issues. There's issues with the kids. There's health issues that enter into the marriage uh, equation. And it is difficult. It's a difficult task. It can be a challenging task. But can I tell you, there are many testimonies, even in this room right now, that will tell you that it can be achieved. That God's design, the divine design for marriage, can be achieved. I read where Robert Keeler wrote this. He said, marriage is like twirling a baton, turning a handspring, or eating with chopsticks. It all looks easy until you try it. Amen? Same thing with marriage. It looks real easy until you try it. So, men, raise your hands. I want to talk to you for a minute. I pray that every single one of you here today leaves this place committed to be the very best husband that you can be to your wife, whether it's now or in the future. And to do that, I want to share with you what the Bible says and give you three basic ideas that will help you to be the best husband you can be. One, show your love sacrificially. 
I mentioned this when I began the series a couple of weeks ago. In Ephesians 5.25, the Word of God says, Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for her. He did. Men, I want to encourage you today to work hard at your marriage. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Give your marriage a little bit of effort. Not, not just lackadaisical, but give your marriage some effort. Like it or not, men, it is your responsibility to provide for both the physical and the emotional needs of your wife. So don't be lazy. Give yourself to her. Show your love sacrificially. Men, the second thing you can do is show your love affectionately. In 1 Peter 3, 7, the word says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, giving honor to them. Men, you ought to have your wife on the pedestal, on the throne of your marriage. She ought to be the queen, the hot queen, amen? She ought to be the one that you give honor to. So why don't you show your affection to her? Why don't you show your affection to her and give attention to those little things? Can I tell you that, that little things are a real big thing to women? So give your attention to those little things and show your love affectionately. But number three, make sure that you say your love verbally. In Ephesians 4.29, the word says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, it applies to the Ephesian church to which it was written in, but can I tell you, that applies to your marriage too. If you ain't got something good to say, then don't say it at all. If you ain't got something good to say to your spouse, to your wife, then don't say it at all. Instead, say your love verbally. I read about astronaut uh, Michael Collins who uh, learned at a marriage conference that the estimated number of words that a man, a man uses is 15,000 words a day. Is that a lot of words or what? You know what it is for a woman? 35,000. Unfortunately, Michael Collins says, when I get home, I've already spent my 15,000, but my wife is just getting started on her 35. Can I tell you, men, that your wife needs encouragement? That your wife needs conversation? She needs for you to shut up every now and then and listen to what she's got to say. And I want to encourage you to do that. You see, your wife already knows how you smell, and she already knows all about your bad habits. All right? Why don't you show her what your heart says and just be quiet and just listen to your wife? Men, show your love sacrificially, show your love affectionately, and say it verbally. Ladies, you're here, raise your hand. If you're not here, raise your hand. <laughs> Ladies, I also pray that each one of you leave this place committed to be the very best wife to your husband that you can become. And to do that, the Bible also shares three ideas with you on how to make that so. One, be respectful. Ephesians 5.33 says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, respect 
is probably what your husband desires most from you. When it's all boiled away, respect is probably what he desires most from you. Remember that your husband is a person, not a project. That he's a man, not a pet. And that he is to be loved by you, not trained by you. Amen? I read about this one lady who was speaking at a woman's club and she was lecturing on marriage. And at one point, she asked her whole audience, which was all women, she said, how many of you want to mother your husband? Well, one member in the very back row raised her hand and she said, what? You want to mother your husband? She said, mother? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said smother. <laughs> that was cute. Then there's the story of the two lines in heaven. One line was for the dominant husband, and the other line was for the passive, submissive husband. That line for the submissive husband extended almost out of sight. And then there was just this one man in the other line for dominant husband. He was a small and timid man, anything but what you would think a dominant husband would look like. And when he was asked why he was in that line, do you know what he said? He said, my wife told me to stand here. Amen? <laughs> Ladies, can I tell you this? Rather than seeking to change your husband, choose instead to respect him. Instead of trying to change him, why don't you just accept him for the way he is? The truth is this. The more that you try to change him, the greater risk you run of pushing him to somebody else who will accept him as he is. Mm. But, the more that you respect him, the more you respect him, the greater the chance is that he'll want to change in order to better himself for you. So can I encourage you, ladies? Be respectful. Number two, be attractive. Be attractive, but modest, but be attractive. Ladies, you might not think that it's important, but it's very important to him. Can I get an amen, men? You may not think that being attractive is important, but it is to him. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. That's just the way it is. So I want to encourage you, ladies, to treat yourself like a jewel. Not like a prima donna, not like barbed wire, not like a spoiled kid, but rather like a treasure. Treat yourself like you're special, like you're worthy of his attention. Treat yourself like a jewel and be attractive to him. I mean, what was it at the very first that got his attention and piqued his interest in you? Do you know what it was? It's the same thing that Adam said. You remember what Adam said? My goodness, she's hot. Same thing. So I want to ask you, what makes you think that it's still not important to him that you be hot, that you be attractive. So take care of yourself and, and be attractive but modest. Thirdly, be his partner. Be his partner. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to give him a partner. I'm going to make him a helper suitable to him. 
See, this not only means being an exclusive, intimate partner. It also means being his best friend in every single area of your life. His best friend. It means viewing your relationship with him as the single most important relationship, human relationship, that you have. He's that important to you. So I want to encourage you today to appreciate your spouse. I want to encourage you, if you're not married yet, I want you to begin praying for the spouse that God has for you. I want to encourage you to commit yourself to become the very best husband or the very best wife that you can be for him or her. Now you need to know, if you're already married, that this is not going to happen just by turning over a new leaf. No, it's going to require some commitment. It's going to require you to commit yourself, to recommit yourself, not just to him, but to recommit yourself to the Lord. To recommit yourself to the Lord. To become his instrument for bringing riches into your spouse's life. And you know, when you're both committed to that end, when you're both committed to that, committed to helping one another, you're going to be supported, you're going to be strengthened, and both people, both uh, parts of the marriage will know that they're loved. And that's so important in our day and time. And can I tell you, that's the divine design that both know that they are loved. You know, Jesus Christ loved you. Jesus Christ loves you today. And he loved you so much that he gave himself for you. But just like in a marriage, unless you accept and respond to that love, what good is it? I want to ask you today, have you accepted and responded to the love of Christ? Is Jesus in the middle of your marriage? Can I tell you that if he's not, he desperately wants to be. And if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have the absolute assurance that heaven is your eternal dwelling place when your days on earth are through I want to encourage you this morning during this song to accept and respond to the love of God that he showed when Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven came to earth died on a criminal's cross gloriously resurrected to show you how much he loved you just like that that song one scarred hand to the other that's how much he loved you. Loved you enough to die for you. To give himself for you. So if you haven't made that decision in your life today, I pray that you do that during this song. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us instructions. Lord, not only for salvation not only on how we are to live our lives, not only how we are to uh, worship you, but Lord, you've also given us a, a divine design for marriage and some wonderful instructions that will help us to be successful in our marriages. But Lord, as we come to this decision time in our service, 
Father, we pray that in Jesus' name, that if there is one single person who has not accepted and responded to the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ, that today would be their day. That they wouldn't hesitate another day, not even another moment. But Lord, that during this song they would just step out, step forward. Allow me to show them what you say in your instructions about how a person can be saved and be assured that heaven is their eternal resting place. Father, we look forward to the day when we'll see you face to face. It's going to be a joyful, awesome, incredible time. Lord, we think we have so many questions that we want to ask you, but I think that when we get to see you face to face, there's not going to be much we want to say. We just want to fall down on our knees and worship you and thank you for all that you've done for us. So, Father, bless this decision time. Lord, bless the one whom you're speaking to now about making that eternal decision for Jesus. Help them to accept and respond to the fact that he gave himself for them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. Are you washed in the blood? Okay.
Just a couple of announcements before we go. Remember, uh, Awana's Wednesday from 5.15 to 7.15. Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. That's what that means, and that's what we're doing here is, is training young people, young children, to be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 5.15 to 7.15, and cross-training tonight seven, uh, uh, at 5.30 during the worship service. We want your children back here, okay? Come on back and, and enjoy the uh, service tonight, and we want your children to be part of that. That's through the sixth grade, all right? And then uh, pictorial deadlines are due next Sunday. The, what about that is uh, Brenda wants the bows and your, or maybe your favorite uh, scriptures, whatever uh, you want put under your picture, she wants that by next Sunday. Is there anything else about that, Brenda? Okay. And uh, remember to come back tonight. Uh, this has been so interesting. That uh, Casey has done a tremendous job, and, and the preparation that's gone into this is just is tremendous. You will enjoy it. Now, why is that? Why is it important to you to know uh, what's the difference? To know the difference in science and, and biblical truths. Well, uh, there is an agenda out there, folks, and, and it's it's uh, made to, to go forward by. Uh, uh, a lot of scientists, a lot of people that just want to see something or believe something, but it's uh, when you really get down to it, it's a lot easier to have faith than it is to prove that what they're trying to prove. It's 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 amazing. So um, Casey has got a lot of questions tonight, a lot of answers tonight in his uh, uh, in his presentation tonight. Come on back tonight for that. That's at five thirty. And Vacation Bible School is uh, June sixth through tenth. Now that may seem a, a long way away, but the best Vacation Bible schools are the ones that are prepared for the best, right? Amen. And so uh, Beverly Scott is heading that up, and she needs your help. If you can do uh, help in just maybe one day, uh, that'll be great. Now it's going to be during the day between nine and twelve on from June sixth to tenth. And she has got the theme, the, all the materials together, and she wants your help. So uh, please go to Beverly. Is there anything else about that, Beverly, that I'm missing? All right. The age groups is uh, uh, during the day, Beverly is age four through sixth grade. And there will be a, a nighttime uh, Bible school for the young people, too. All right. All right. Is there anything else before we go?